Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask a very simple question. I, 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 first off, if you're a jurisdiction clergy person, will you stand up? I've got quite a few here. Very good. Thank you all for being here uh, very much. Thank you. Uh, how many have never been to an ordination service? It's okay. You can show your hands. Okay, great. That means you're not going to know that we messed up already. Really, it's just we, we try to keep things as reverent as we possibly can. Um, for those who aren't aware, um, I want to give you just a little bit of an idea. You're, you're familiar, of course, with the work of the church and the church that you attend. But what many of you are not aware, and what Josiah is coming into, along with the other chaplains that are present, is into the jurisdiction of the armed forces and chaplaincy. We are our own jurisdiction. We are, in fact, the largest jurisdiction in the ACNA uh, by number of clergy. And every week, we have about 70 congregations meeting around the world. Now, they're not all churches. A lot of them are chapels, and many of them are in military settings and in hospital settings. But it's a very large footprint. Um, the jurisdiction of the Armed Forces and Chaplaincy since 2014 has been responsible for nearly one, well, actually, for one-third of all church plants in the Anglican Church in North America. We currently account for more than half of all church plants amongst all the dioceses. We will plant a church and then we'll hand it off to a diocese. That's one of the works that our chaplains are very skilled at. Um, we have services that range from just three or four people gathering in a military chapel to uh, one service that meets every Sunday with nearly 1,500, one with even 2,000. Um, I'm really pleased that Chaplain Stanton Trotter is here because one of my favorite stories is about him when he put liturgy on the back of running bibs, you know, and he's in, and he's in the desert, and they're going to do an Easter run at Easter, and they all did the liturgy, and, and he served communion. Uh, the numbers were immense for all the soldiers. How many? Yeah, it's incredible. Is that not a unique way to do ministry? Um, it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. And, and it's going to relate a little bit to, to um, first, the story that, that I'll share with you. I'll share two stories with you, so I want to make sure that you know. Um, and and they're, both, they're both illustration stories, okay? So um, I'm going to concentrate today on our gospel um, reading. Um, but but uh, a little bit about me. I'm, I'm a... Uh, Retired Air Force officer, 28 years uh, served. I was not a chaplain. Um, by the way, how do you know when there's a fighter pilot in the room? He'll tell you. Yeah. So, so, um, so I actually flew fighters for my uh, military career and, uh, and, and enjoyed it. So it was a comedy of God when he, when he brought me in to, to, to do this work uh, and to start the jurisdiction of the Armed Forces and Chaplaincy. Um, we have currently about 80 people in our process. Uh, we'll accomplish uh, um, over 30 ordinations this year alone. Um, so it is an immense footprint. Our folks are in demand. Archbishop Foley uses the jurisdiction for his governmental and international affairs um, issues. All of those folks are housed in our office. Adoption fund was begun with us. The um, uh, uh, congregational health and things of that nature. I say this not as a matter of boasting. I say this as a matter of helping you understand and appreciate exactly what Josiah is stepping into. 
Uh, his orders today as a deacon are but a stepping stone to his orders to the priesthood when he prepares to become a military chaplain himself. And so our text today is very important. I, I, um, Dr. Henley, I met him last night. When, when you were at Wheaton, did you know uh, um, uh, a Moses Wimini? He was from Liberia. Okay, well, Moses was a student. I, I actually met Moses when he was a, was, was a young man. And, and um, he shared a story, and he shared it with everybody because he ended up going to Wheaton College. And he shared this story about having gone out into the jungle and found a bull elephant that had been caught in a trap. It was a young bull elephant, and it was illegal trapping. And so he went, and he, and he freed. He took out his knife, and he was able to free the bull elephant. Well, as soon as that happened, the elephant became very enraged, and he thought, great, I've freed this elephant, and now he's going to kill me. But instead, the elephant, you know, made a trump around, and, and he was young, and then gently came over and just simply touched him with his trunk and then went off into the woods. And so he shared that story with a lot of people. When he went to Wheaton, he, needed to, he decided to go to, um, to the local zoo. This is several years later. And everybody knew the story. He was sharing the story with everyone, you know. And, and so when they got there, they got to the elephant enclosure. And if you've ever been to that zoo, there's, it's actually just a thin wire, you know, there's no gates. It's kind of like an open zoo. And, and there's an elephant, a bull elephant, much older, looked at him and began making all sorts of noise. And everybody went, that must be the same elephant. And he became convinced of it. And so he went down, went down the ladder to the enclosure. The bull elephant was coming over and, and started to get near him. And he went down into it. And the, and the bull elephant came over and gently wrapped his trunk around him then slammed him against the wall. Turned out it wasn't the same elephant. What? It wasn't the same elephant. But I made the story believable, didn't I? Made it very believable. Maybe it's in the telling. Maybe it was because you had a sense to just trust me because I'm a bishop. I'm a minister. Certainly, I'm not going to say something unusual or strange. I'm already sitting down to preach. What's going on? This is all different anyway. So he's just going to tell funny jokes and stories? I mean, I didn't know it was coming to comedy night. But isn't that perhaps what's happened in our world today with the church? We've had so many people telling so many different stories that pretty much now anything has become believable. Anything. Barna just released an interesting survey that a large majority of people believe Jesus is the Son of God. That same large majority of people don't go to church, and that same large majority of people say they hate Christians. Isn't that an interesting study? I, I, I tell a story because I'm in a position of authority. You have reason to expect that you can believe that the story is going to be true. I'll tell another story. This one actually is true, and this one I'm going to have to stand up to tell. As, a, as an instructor pilot, I had a foreign student, and he was from, he was, um, well, I can tell you where, where he was from. He was from Qatar. But he came over, and so he's going to do his primary training in the T-37. The T-37, they're going to learn what's called baby acro. Now, we know that these students, before they came to the United States, had already been through some pilot training. This was not new training for this. We're not supposed to know that. It's a facade. We act like this is their first time, but they don't want them to be embarrassed. So they give them some training before they come so they know that they will make it through our training, because it's rigid. And so Baby Acker was the aileron roll, 
what's called the split S, where they roll the airplane inverted and pull straight through, and the loop. Well, this particular student had gotten behind on spin training. He just was a little bit behind, hadn't gone well, so we had to climb way high into the area for us to put the airplane out of control and him into a spin and him recover the airplane. He didn't do quite well the first time, so he did, had to go back up, do it again, and come back down. Well, by the time we finished it, we'd used a lot of gas. So it's time now for him to learn baby acro. So I take the aircraft and I demonstrate, as an instructor pilot, the aileron roll. I give the airplane to him, and he executes a perfect aileron roll. I then demonstrate the split S. Roll inverted and pull through. I hand him the aircraft. He, there's entry parameters, exact on airspeed, exact on altitude, exact at a certain pitch altitude, and come around. He did it perfectly. Looking at the gas and knowing that he already had training, I said, just do the loop. Sir, you did not, you did not, you did not, you didn't demonstrate it to me. I know you know how to do the loop. Just do the loop. And so he takes the airplane and he lowers the nose about 20 degrees below the horizon. He gets to the entry airspeed of 250 knots and he begins to pull four G's in what is the beginning of a perfect loop. However, when he got to pointing straight at the ground, he did an aileron roll and pulled out. Well, that's showboating. I was so angry. I said, what are you doing? I took the airplane and I put, went into the entry perimeters and instead I did six G's, so I'm just making them suffer over in the right seat. And I, I, we come back down and he does one just like I did. We land and we're going to debrief. Why were you showboating? Why did you do an aileron roll on the backside of a loop? And he says, sir, I did it exactly as you instructed on the ground. I said, I didn't tell this guy to do an aileron roll. What, what, what? And then I began to think. Then it dawned on me, when I was describing the loop on the ground, I said, you'll lower your nose, you'll get 250 knots, you'll, you'll pull four Gs, bring the nose around. <laughs> now, for those of you that didn't catch it, I'll exaggerate it this time. You raise the nose, you bring the nose around, and pull out. I said, you realize that I can't make my arm go all the way around? <laughs> he goes, oh. See, there's a second group of people in this world that will do exactly what you do. They'll do it. They're, they're watching you, especially when you're in authority. Mom, dad, older brother, older sister, employer. They're watching you. When those things become to be acceptable things that aren't right, all of a sudden it begins to be ingrained in them that it's, that it's okay or that it's right. I hate to say this, but it's happened to our church over the centuries. Now, I want, I want you to be encouraged a little bit, though, because I think the church is trying to get it right right now. And I want to I wanna juxtapose. Is that how you say it, juxtapose? Is that it? I'm going to put, put before you a theory that I've shared with many of my chaplains. All of them here know it. But I want you to remember that about 500 years, 500 years before Christ came, Alexander conquered the world. Now, my, my canon says I can go back even further than that. But I'll start at Alexander. He conquers the world. And he sets the stage as though everything's now focused in the Middle East, in the center of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, this, this child will be born in a major 500 years later. And God will reveal himself through kenosis, through the self-emptying of, emptying of himself to come, to come to earth. 
He'll lead a perfect life, die for our sins. About 500 years after that, this is approximate, about 500 years after that, Muhammad will come on the scene, the first great affront to the Christian faith. <coughs> Do you know Muhammad almost came to Christ? It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting time. And Muhammad will create the first counter-false religion in the world. It's not to say there weren't heresies around at the time, but for the most part, the church kept them in, in check. A thousand years after that, we're going to have the first split between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. Up until this time, the church has been one, the first thousand years, and, and we're going to see the Eastern Church and the Western Church split, primarily because one didn't take care of the other in the midst of the Crusades and through the expansion of the church. About 500 years after that, we're going to have the Reformation. We're going to have the Reformation, the Counter-Reformation, and the English Reformation. All three of them taking place near simultaneously in time where there's, an, there's a correction of the church to bring itself back together and back pointed in a, in, a, in a proper direction. And what we'll have is we'll have a lot of Protestant faith groups born out of that based upon different ideas and different concepts that they continue to hold to today. But for the most part, we had a reckoning of the church Catholic, the Holy Communions. Now, I don't, I don't have to be a math major to figure out we're now 500 years after that. We're now 500 years after the Reformation. And if God's character is consistent, which it is, and God's word is true in Scripture, which it is, and if Jesus' words were true and he was the Son of God, which he was, then that means that you and I are part of the next big thing God is doing. Do you realize that? You're not just some simple generation. All of this stuff that's going on politically and socially and, and all around, you know, I don't want to do a political sermon. I don't want a social sermon. But I, I can sit here and what, and what we have done as a church, I, I look back to the 1960s with the Jesus generation and, and everything was about God is love. You remember all the signs if you were that time? Even post boards, God is love, God is love, God is love. We failed the people of God by 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 saying God is love. Not to give a social sermon, but let me give you this consideration. I was born this way. I have a right to be this way. There are others who are like me who are this way. Church, Christian. And you may say God says I can't be this way, but I can because your God is love. And if your God is love, he made me this way. I was born this way, and so were other people just like me who were born this way. So you have to accept me because your God is love. And so all of your rules and all your things that you say are so moral and upright, you Mr. Christian, obviously it's wrong because look at how I am, and I'm going to make you accept me for how I am. And I'm going to make you accept my friends, and I'm going to force it on your children and everywhere you go. And right now, the thing that I demand is that you put human body parts in public supermarkets because I'm a cannibal. Oh, did you think I was talking about homosexuality? You see, if I use the God as love argument, I can make anything permissible. I can make anything okay. God certainly is love. He certainly is. But who he is, is I am. The God who revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush. The God who revealed himself to his entire people by letting them cross the Red Sea on dry land. The God who 
stood and encouraged Peter to walk on water. The God who called John his beloved. It's the God who said, receive me in your place of sin and shame and guilt, and I'll make you whole. The God who extends grace beyond. That's the God who reveals himself in Scripture. That's the God the church seeks to find the sheep for. But right now, we've got a world that has become subject to our own failings. They'll believe anything they hear just because the minister has a big congregation and a lot of money and jets to fly around the world in. They'll, they'll, they'll follow the example of somebody just because they have come to trust them and believe that they're okay. And they, and they say God speaks, so they must be a, a minister of God. I, you know, in my, in, in my day growing up, it was the Moonies. I don't know if you ever, who knew the Moonies? Sun Myung Moon, you remember that? They'd come and pin flowers on you at the airports. I was in an airport waiting for my brother to come up, and one came up to me and wanted to start to talk to me, and I just went, Oh, you don't speak? I felt so guilty after that. I confessed that sin after it was all done over. But uh, actually, I didn't cross myself as a Baptist at the time. But um, <laughs> that's, that, I came to church. I came to faith through the Baptist, through the youth of a the work of a Baptist minister. The church is doing some things right. But right now, church, we're doing a lot of things wrong. One of the things that we're doing wrong is we're being silent. We're not speaking about, out about the moral decay that's happening around us. We've become fearful of being called names. You see, we are the church right now falling asleep. We are the church right now who is not dressed for action. We are the church right now whom the master is going to catch us off guard and we will not be invited to sup with him and recline with him when he shows. Now, Scripture says it doesn't know when we would be first deceived, when the thief would come, when the thief would come and start to steal. My, my, my wife and I, we have, we have a, a farm down in Montevallo. We put chains on gates because we're fearful of somebody coming and damaging or hurting our horses. A few years ago, some, some vigilante kids doing, took a bow and arrow. They burned a bunch of churches in the area. They actually shot one of our Pathfinder cows. Cost us money. If I'd known they were coming, it would have never happened. If I could have prepared a different way, I would have. I prepare now differently because of that experience. Church, we now have the gift of an experience of society and politics that have taken us away from who God reveals himself to be. And we have the choice to either wake up or to just give it up. You are being charged to wake up. You, as a chaplain, are going to be going into the midst of our most vulnerable people, those who defend this nation, to have the freedom to be able to sleep. I was asked in a radio interview not long ago on American Family Radio, 
Chad Groening asked me, he said, Bishop, how do you feel about homosexuals in the military and this transgenderism in the military? I said, you know what? I defend every person's right in this nation to live how they want. That is the ultimate freedom that God gave to us. I can expect no less when he's blessed this nation for us to be the way that we want to do. Do I have a problem with a transgender individual making a choice to be transgender? No. But I got to call it when it's wrong and it's immoral. And I need to let them know that there's, there's a God who can walk them through that. Do I condemn the homosexual? No, I don't. Scripture does. Do I condemn the thief? No, I hope to rehabilitate him. I hope to bring about care. You see, we're in this together because if I were perfect, I wouldn't need God's grace. (laughs) And boy, I need a lot of God's grace. I need a lot of God's grace. There's so many things in my life that I struggle with. Men, women, they're not our secret sins. They're our joint falling away from God. And all he's telling us is to gird ourselves, he says, to gird, to be dressed and ready for action. And he tells us even in Scripture how to dress. He tells us to put on the full armor of God. He tells us to clothe ourselves in righteousness. He tells us to bathe ourselves in prayer and in fasting. And I'll tell you, that's something this church has not been doing in a long time, and that's fasting. I put out the charge. All of our chaplains now fast every Friday as a minimum. Every Friday they fast. Except for yesterday, Josiah was given permission to eat pizza. (laughs) And I joined him. Church, it's time for us to wake up. We have to wake up. Your charge is going to be going to the men and the women who defend our freedoms to be able to be who we want to be back home. It's a daunting task. When that precious young seaman comes to you and says, Chaplain, this... They receive in confidence they're going to be looking at you and you are going to be the most Jesus they may ever see in their entire life. You will be the most Jesus they will possibly be. And the only way that you will be able to minister to them is if you're awake. And the only way for him to be awake is if you're praying for him. And the only way for her to be praying for him is if you're supporting her. And the only way for you to support her is if you as an entire family are covering them in prayer. And you as a church are recognizing that he's not the only one out there that's doing this mission, this call, and this charge to a dying world that so desperately needs to know God loves them and died on the cross for them. They will be following your example. They will do what you do. They will listen to what you say. It's important that you stay deep in the scriptures and in the study and that you are ready in season and out of season. Church, for you, get a voice. The master is coming home and we don't know the hour and we don't know the time. But we know this for sure. If it's not 500 years, it might be 500 years from now 
But when those 500 years from now come, I pray that they look back and they say, this generation of God's church reconciled themselves to God. And they were dressed for action. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.